invite you to remain standing for the reading of today's gospel lesson, the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Listen for the word of the Lord. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took Jesus in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the, father, the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child was destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment... She came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Children, uh, when reared in the church, they pick up on everything. I wish you could see the, um, the reactions, the intrigue, the curiosity of our children each week at children's moment. Now, oftentimes they're wondering what will be set on fire, or what the trick is going to be, or whatever's going on. But they even look in, uh, with marvel and wonder at the flicker of a candle and the red colors of the poinsettias. They see the things, the nuances that we adults oftentimes overlook or take for granted. Now they also know where to find the best candy in the crayons, don't they? Yes. Well, if we listen, our children will lead us, they will teach us, and they will allow us to be shaped for the future with them. On Christmas Eve, I encouraged you all uh, to say three things at the five o'clock traditional candlelight service. Right after James magnificently sang, Oh, Holy Night, I said, turn to your neighbor and say, I can sing like that too. Merry Christmas, and don't set me on fire tonight. Those were the three things that we said to one another. Well, 
On the way out, a little girl found me and she said, Pastor Jay, I did what you said. I didn't set anyone on fire, although my brother was really annoying to me during this service. <laughs> Thanks be to God, they listen to what we say. I also read a story that sounds like something that um, I might or might not have tried. My parents are here, so I can neither confirm nor deny this, but there was a boy about eight years old uh, listening intently to a Sunday school lesson about creation and Adam and his uh, formation and Eve being drawn from the side of, of Adam, uh, his ribs. Little boy, he just, you know, he was just ready to go outside and play, so he, he raised one hand and he put his hand on the other and and told the teacher, I need to be excused. I think I'm having a wife, <laughs> right? They're creative. They listen. They will lead us. We pastors, we receive a lot of uh, notes from children. I have a Spider-Man that's up on my file cabinet that one of our children colored for me. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorite pieces. When I left as an associate for another appointment, Glenda Argo, our director of children's ministry, she gave me a bucket of note cards that children had handwritten. Some were in the shape of a bow tie. She said on hard days, pull them out and listen to the voices of children. And I do. And I have. I also thought about a friend of mine who received a note that said, Pastor, I really liked your sermon I appreciated it so much, especially when it was finished. <laughs> I get that too, right? Our children, they pay attention. And we should pay attention to them. Isaiah, hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, said, there's a peaceable kingdom that is coming, and a child will lead God's people to restoration. A child. You know something? Before Jesus was ever able to utter a word or to really pay attention. People were listening and paying attention to him and watching and waiting and foretelling the things he would do. Simeon and Anna, two elderly churchgoers, they step into a sacred space in this Jerusalem temple and they help we readers of Luke's gospel make sense of these events that are already beginning to unfold in the life of Jesus. Simeon, he brings into sharp focus the hopes and dreams of Israel, but he cautions, he cautions those, doesn't he, who are listening, that not everyone will be ready to receive what Jesus has to say. Are we ready to receive the red letters of Jesus any more than those in the first century were. And Anna, equally devout as a prophetess, she, she situates um, the hope for Jerusalem's liberation from Rome, from Caesar, from a government. She situates it on a child and says, this is the child. You know, the one about whom Isaiah also foretold. The government shall rest upon his shoulders. This is the one. It's quite the political statement to make about a child who was not even six weeks old. It's at this point I can only imagine what Mary and, and Joseph must have, have been thinking, right? It's, it's hard enough to get to church on Sundays with, with young children, you know. You're trying to find pacifiers and, and Cheerios and trying to find the left shoe that fell the last week, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's tough to get to church. Can I get an amen? It's hard to get to church on Sunday. As so I'm thinking about this holy family coming with a six-week-old, 
Mary and Joseph thought, we're going to do what Torah tells us. We're going to take him to the temple to be circumcised, to be dedicated. Uh, We're going to present our child. We will present our offering. It's an outward sign of, of what we believe inwardly. It's baby dedication day here at the temple. Straightforward, yet boy, were Mary and Joseph in for a surprise. The world, you see, was beginning to recognize Jesus' identity long before he ever spoke a word. John recognized him in Mary's wombs. You know, Mary and Elizabeth, they did the belly bump, and it says that John leaped knowing that it was Jesus. Do you remember that? Two elderly people in this account. Simeon, uh, by some legends, being around 112 years old, and Anna, we know, was around 84 years old. Two elderly people recognized Jesus as Messiah. And then there's a virgin and a carpenter and shepherds and a few other people hanging around the perimeter. These onlookers, these identifiers, they're listening for something. Longing and waiting, expecting, hoping that this child is different. Baby Jesus was, even at that point, as we know, fully human and and fully divine. Do you know why we have two candles up here? One to represent the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. Same with our massive archway here, the humanity and the divinity of Christ and our partnership as human beings with the divine. That math doesn't really work, though, does it? 100% human and 100% divine. But theologically, it's, it's foundational to our faith. And so as a fully human Being, Jesus learned from his parents, both of whom were so bought into God's revolutionary movement, justice and righteousness. Mary said, let it be with me. Let it be with me. And we sing a song about it. When I find myself in times of trouble, right? Let it be with us. Mary said, why not me? Let it be. She was so brave and so strong, understood that burden, that responsibility that she was carrying in Jesus. Joseph, he stayed for Mary and to be a father figure to Jesus to provide for his family. And collectively, as a couple, Joseph and Mary committed to Jesus, his worship development, memorization of scriptures, having him in church, having him in the temple, practicing the faith, living out what he said he believed. This is Baby Recognition Friday in Jerusalem, and the Holy Family, they make themselves present to say, here we are. This is us. Here's what we have to offer. It's presentation of the Lord Sunday. Presentation present as in a gift, present as in showing up. Two pretty good models for discipleship as we think about 2024, to be with God and to be with our community. It should uh, not be lost on us that it's the final day of 2023, one of the most unprecedented years in in the life of this church and your life and, and in mine. And personally, I'm ready to say bye. So long, farewell, I bid us say goodbye. In just a moment, we, uh, as Christians in the Wesleyan tradition, we're going to pray a prayer that has been prayed for many, many years. I am no longer my own, but thine.
here we are. Here's what we have to offer. Nothing, nothing fancy, says the Holy Family, just honest. Nothing pretentious, but humble. Nothing self-centered, but outwardly focused, like Mary and like Joseph and like Jesus, who, as the Prince of Peace, as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, was not very regal in his presentation. No regalia, just bands of cloth. No crown that would come later as a crown of thorns. No robe that comes later but as mockery. No entourage other than his parents. And, and no royal court save two elderly people, a poor and modest couple, some bystanders, a few shepherds, some livestock. Magi would come for a, a minute. And that's quite an absurd royal court for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for the Prince of Peace. There's no treasure trove of wealth, only a couple of turtle doves, all they could afford. Here we are, as we are, doing the best we can do, giving all we can, all in an effort to ensure our child is presented properly to God and will grow in the knowledge and love of God and in the scriptures and in the faith community. Here we are, this is us, We've come as we are with all that we have to offer, our family, our child, and our gifts. Jesus is presented as this poor Jewish, dark-skinned little boy, not as anything more than, than what he is. He's given to God by his parents. And I've thought about that a lot over the past few days, that God chose to enter our human story in this way ought to arrest us with the type of expectations we place on ourselves and on others, and it ought to have us re-envision our doctrine of the image of God, the Imago Dei, and that of God with us, Emmanuel. Both of those doctrines are all of a sudden hard to hear for many of us. God came to earth in a complicated pregnancy, a challenging engagement and marriage through a blended family who would later become refugees from Israel to Egypt? Hello? Modest income at best, not even from the city, but from the suburb of a suburb, country folks. God came to us in that way and not in the image or the ways or with the means or as part of the strata we would ever assume or even want God to come and to be, that is, in the ways that we can create and control and construct ourselves, to where we make God look and rule the way that we want God to look and rule. This presentation is so different if we look closely at the mission of this holy family. Because the thing is, this presentation, it, it, maybe it just signals the type of God we serve and those who are persistently on God's mind, the poor and the marginalized, and the overlooked, and the unassuming, those who are also willing to say, here I am. This is all I have to offer. It, it might not be very much, but it's who I am, and it's all that I have. It is my best. I wonder if the presentation of Jesus, a few days old, gives us a clue about his ministry long before his baptism, long before the disciples are called, long before his ministry throughout the region, of Galilee and Israel. I mean, after all, he talked a lot about caring for the least and the last and the lost and, and the lonely, and he showed up to prove his, his care for them, living modestly. Jesus never really had a home, if you think about it. He was always moving around and staying with others. <laughs> but he sacrificed greatly. 
He remained obedient. He cared for justice and righteousness. They were instilled in Jesus very early. He learned this missional focus from his mom, who said, let it be. He proclaimed in his first public sermon, according to Luke's gospel, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to set people free and recovery of sight to the blind, release to the captives. You know, all the stuff that Isaiah said was happening and Simeon and Anna supported and and in response to all of that, his family and friends, they tried to kill him. Surely he would cause the rising and the falling of many by saying, here I am. Here's what I have to offer. From the time Jesus was an infant, we see the signs for how he would live his life, the emphasis of his mission, His life, like his parents' lives, would live under the mantra of, here I am. Here's what I have to offer. Long before he's able to speak, his presentation becomes an invitation for hearers and onlookers, inquisitors, admirers, skeptics alike. The world still asks, what child is this? whose life will cause the rising and falling of many, the consolation of Israel, the unrest of governments? What child is this who came for salvation of the world? What child is this? It's Christ the King who kind of topples any notion of what a king looks like in our minds. A king who will require inward change. Because if Jesus' life is one of here I am, here's what I have to offer, what does that say about those of us who are bold enough to be called followers? What do we do with this lesson today? It's December 31st. Have you made a New Year's resolution yet? I made one last year. Really, it was about getting healthy, right? Mind and body and soul and letting go of things that are not important, focusing on the things that are important. I plan to keep that one. What if uh, instead of resolutions, we became a part of a revolution? As in, yes, another revolution around the sun, but also a revolutionary journey by saying, here I am, here's what I have, here's who I am, to the Lord and to the church, nothing more, nothing less. I'm here as I am with all of my wounds and my scars and fears and doubts and suspicions and guilt and shame and baggage and complications and and labels, Lord, and I'm bringing all of it, all of it into 2024 saying, here's who I am. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. God will honor that revolutionary resolution, I believe. How will we live these next 365 days? What will it require for us to show up to be present for one another? How hard is too hard when it comes to living a life of saying, here I am, here's what I have to offer. To the elderly in our flock, what kind of space will we make for young families 
trying to figure things out, doing the best that they can? What kind of a future will we uh, see in them? What are the possibilities and the opportunities when we make space for families saying, here we are, and here's what we have to offer you? And then to our younger families with youth and children, and to our youth and our children, what kind of reverence and deference will we pay to our seasoned members who possess the wisdom and maintain the larger picture, those who have walked in our shoes? What kind of possibilities and opportunities uh, exist when we take time to listen and learn from those who have been where we've been and are saying, here we are, here's what we have to offer. As we revolve, let us resolve to present ourselves to God and to one another faithfully, sacrificially, freely, fearlessly. Of all the fancy ornaments on our tree, which is still up, by the way, because Christmas lasts 12 days, yes? Okay. My favorites are not the glittery breakables from trips traveled, although they are very nice. Not even the handmade ones, um, necessarily. Not the globes or the, or the crystals. My favorite treasures on our tree are the ones our children made. You know, the ones with a little handprint. Christmas tree or turkey, you know, with a gobble-gobble turkey stuff, or plastic frame, a, a yearbook photograph that's so incriminating they don't want to see themselves as they looked in third grade, right? or something randomly drawn in, in class and made into an ornament like on the back of a, a white paper plate, you know, the ones with the crinkly edges. I don't recall where 90% or more of our Christmas ornaments originated. But I absolutely remember our girls bringing home the ones they made. They were so excited. And they will always remain on our Christmas tree. Because in hindsight, looking back, what they were saying is, here I am. Here's what I have to offer. And it's the best, and I want you to have it. And that degree of innocence and generosity and honesty and humility and just pure love, that's what will revolutionize the world. And it's what matters the most. So here we are, Lord. And here's what we have to offer to you and to one another. As we prepare to depart, we go in peace for our eyes have been in the presence of the salvation of God today.